What's up, guys? Welcome back to another daily Bible reading snapshot. Today we're looking at Exodus 4, 5, and 6, and then Matthew 16 in the New Testament. So here in Exodus 4, we're continuing the conversation between God and Moses at the burning bush. Yesterday, God introduced himself. Today, we're going to see Moses have a test of faith here, and we're also going to see how he's going to push back against God and give some excuses for why he doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do, but God is going to overcome those excuses, and Moses is going to press on. So, first of all, we get Moses here, who is making some excuses and saying, well, I'm not very eloquent. I have some type of speech impediment. I shouldn't be the one to stand up and talk to Pharaoh. Uh, let's have someone else do it. And God says, well, who made the mouth? I'm the one that made the mouth, so I can give you the words, so don't worry about it. And, and in fact, I'll also send Aaron, your brother, to go with you. And the thing you have to remember is Moses is old. Moses spends the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, then the next 40 years of his life in Midian. So Moses is 80 years old when this is happening. Sometimes we think of Moses as a young man having this conversation He's not a young man. He's an old man. He doesn't want to do this. And God has to force him to do it and say, you're going to do it. So he does. And he gives all these excuses. And then God proves his power, even with some miraculous signs and says, you can do these miraculous signs through my power and show everybody that you're really my spokesman. And as they go back to Egypt, weird scene here. It says that God was angry with Moses and was going to put him to death because it seems like his sons were not circumcised. And Zipporah, the wife of Moses, this is the daughter of Ruel or Jethro, she steps in and she does it. And she says, I'm a, or, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So intense lady, odd scene, because it doesn't give us much explanation on why and what was going on. The best guess that we can have is clearly we think that we've got some situation here with um, God and his rules about circumcision that relate back to the covenant with Abraham that clearly Moses did not do for his sons. Uh, but just very interesting that Zipporah kind of saves the day here as they're coming back. So they come back to the land. They think, okay, this is going great. They say, let my people go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's like, well, who's the Lord? Like, who's that? That comes from verse two. Well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Who's the I am that you're talking about? I've never heard of him. Uh, so no. And I think you are just wanting to be lazy. So I gave you stuff to build the bricks with before because you guys were slaves, right? I gave you all the straw. Now, how about this? You got to go collect your own straw. So this made the Israelites actually mad at, at Moses and Aaron because it's like, you guys just totally messed us up. You made our life even worse. We stink to the people of Israel. This is terrible, or to the people of Egypt. This is horrible. And things did get bad and there was doubt. Really, there was some serious doubt. And Moses turned to the Lord in, cha in chapter five, verse 22 and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even, why did you ever send me? Why did that even happen? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has not he has done evil to the people and you have not delivered your people at all. So we see Moses has some doubt that God is really going to do this. And then in chapter six, God has to reiterate how he's going to save the people. And then the end of chapter six is an interesting little um, kind of like a section that's broken off from the rest of the narrative where God explains here the tribal 
genealogies of these Israelites. So people, when they heard this initially, they thought, oh, that's where I fit in. I identify right in there because we're getting some information about the family of Israel. So that's Exodus 4, 5, and 6. We learn God takes his commandments that he gives very seriously and God's servants, people like Moses, and even Christians like us, we got to take God's word very seriously and do whatever he says, even if it looks like it doesn't work out. Even, it lo- even if it looks like that made things worse to obey God, it in the long run will always work out for us to obey God. Even if things go poorly here, um, they will work out because God will take care of us. Um, even if we die, like Moses is threatened with death here, God will, will provide a way for us to be, um, if not even saved from a hard situation, at least in a right relationship with him. And that's better than anything else anyway. So, all right, that's the book of Exodus, Matthew 16 today. It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they want more miracles from Jesus, where Jesus has already made it clear he's not going to give miracles to people who don't believe. That's been very clear for a number of chapters now. And Jesus warns the disciples about the unbelief of the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, hey, don't be like them. And then it says they get away to this place called Caesarea Philippi um, in verse 13. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say the son of man is? And then they give all these answers. They say, oh, well, some people say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or uh, Jeremiah or the other prophets. But then Jesus asked them a question, but who do you say that I am? And that's the important question here. That's the question that as you read the book of Matthew, you should be thinking, well, who do I think Jesus is? After I've read this, well, what does this say about Jesus? Who do I really believe he is? Is he just a good moral teacher? Is he some reincarnated version of one of these Old Testament people? Like, who is he? Well, Peter answers the right answer. He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah that's promised in the Old Testament. And even more than that, you are the son of the living God. Not only are you some kingly and priestly and prophetic figure from the Old Testament, you're also God. You are the son of God. You are equal with God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Basically saying, nobody told you this so that you just reiterated something that someone said. God had to reveal that to you. And then he says, and you're Peter, and I'll tell you on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that promise is still being fulfilled. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, which is an amazing promise. And then immediately after, We think, okay, this is good. Things are going well. Um, Peter takes Jesus aside after Jesus says, okay, now that you know who I am, I'm about to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And Peter takes him aside and says, Jesus, that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus has to turn back to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. You are an opponent to me right now. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says this, if anyone would come after me, just know this, you will have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is some of the most rich teaching of Jesus that we have anywhere in any of the four gospels, which basically tells us this. If you're willing to follow Jesus, you got to be willing to give up your life. You got to be willing not to live for yourself. You got to be willing to even die because what will it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul, but your soul is separated from God for eternity? What is that worth it? 
Is that really worth it? And Jesus says, no, of course it's not worth it. And he says, look, you got to be willing to follow me. And it's good news that that Christians, if you and me are Christians, that we say, yeah, I am. I am willing to take up my cross. And that's a work. As we go back to verse 17, as Jesus says, that's a work that flesh and blood cannot produce in you. That has to be something that God does in you. Like this answer that Peter gives to Jesus, like that is something that only God could reveal to him truly. Same thing here. This is a work that God has to produce in us. But it's amazing to see the boldness of the Christians who really live this out. We want to be Christians who boldly live that out in our lives today. So thanks for reading. We'll see you back tomorrow for another daily Bible reading snapshot. Thank you.